I've told you before that I heard someplace, and I can't remember where, but I heard that the average word in the English language has four and a half definitions, which can be confusing, especially if you can't say your consonants. We're focusing on the word good this week, goodness. Well, how many definitions or senses do you suppose the word good has? In the Merriam-Webster dictionary, there are 33. So give me a phrase or a short sentence using the word good, demonstrating how it's different from other ways we use it. So we've got God is good. OK, take the low-hanging fruit. Why don't you, Mary? OK, OK, <laughs> God is good. And we'll explore what that means. How else might you use the word good? Tastes good, okay. Good day. It tastes good. It tastes good. We, yeah. Oh, the, this cake is good. Or fudge for good. It feels good. The horse is a good boy. A good boy. The horse is a good boy. Goodbye. I'm good to go. Your wife is good. Say that again, Alan. She's not believing you. <laughs> tell, tell Janice that Alan said she's good. Good night. I mean, we could go all over the place with this, couldn't we? It's just lots and lots and lots, almost to the point that it's a useless word, right? If a word could mean so many different things, then what's it really saying? I, I wonder sometimes. In the New Testament Greek, there are three words which are often translated good. The first one is krestos. We talked about this krestotes is one of its forms. We talked about this last week. Krestos is goodness in the sense of being pleasant, sweet, or kind. Do you know somebody in your life that's kind? That's a a good friend, a good person. A second Greek word is kalos, which is talking about aesthetic goodness, that which is beautiful, fine, or free from defect. That's a good painting. That's a good landscape. That's a good sunrise. The third word, the one that we're going to spend time with this morning, is agathos which is the broadest word for goodness in the New Testament in the Greek language. It has the sense of moral or ethical goodness, of righteousness, of godliness, of love, as, in, as uh, God pours out his love. It's that which is expressed in action, though. It could mean generosity, which is a goodness that gives to others. So agathos is this combination of not just being good, but also doing good, an action orientation to it. One of the commentators that I spent some time with this week on this word says, the fruit of the, in the fruit of the spirit, kindness and goodness are like two sides of the same coin. Kindness is a sincere desire for the happiness of others. But goodness is the activity calculated to advance that happiness. 
I can want you to be happy. I can want everybody to be happy. That's kindness. So I'm going to act in such a way that that becomes a reality. I'm going to do things which will promote that in your life. That's goodness. Now, we could spend a lot of time defining the word goodness this morning, but that's as far as I'm going to go with the definition. More importantly, I want us to talk about how we become good people and what it will do in our relationships with other people. So let's begin with a familiar story from Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, if you want to turn there with me. We spent a lot of time in Mark this past year and sermons from Christmas to Pentecost, so I'll go back there. Mark chapter 10 is where I'd like you to join me. I'll begin reading at verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, there's that word, agathosunai. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the young man declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Kind of bouncing on the balls of his feet, kind of patting himself on the back perhaps. I've been a good boy. I've kept all the rules. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then... Come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. The young man came to Jesus in my imagination as one good man speaking to another good man. This young man had the sense about himself that he had kept the rules. He he knew what was good, he knew what was godly, and he had, been, uh, he had been consistent in keeping those commandments. He would have identified himself as a good man. And I suspect that he was coming to Jesus thinking that Jesus was a good man too. He said, good teacher. Good teacher. It's one good guy talking to another good guy. They're kind of on a par. They're, they're peers when it comes to goodness. And this young man wants to take it perhaps to the next level. I've kept all this stuff. What must I do to have eternal life, he asks. Jesus stops him in his tracks, though, by saying, why are you calling me good? Only God is good. There's only one truly good person. And I know we could spend time, well, Jesus is God. Why does he not call himself good? You know, let's not go there. Jesus is just stopping this man and saying, whoa, 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 you've been using the word good to identify yourself and to identify me, but I want to take it deeper. I want to talk about a kind of goodness that's deeper than that, and it's the kind of goodness that God and God alone has. Let's pick up the story again in 
verse 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? If only God is good, who can be saved? How can we be good enough? If only God is good, we are utterly lost. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. Give up your striving. Give up your attempts. Give up your hard work. With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. There is a way to this goodness, right? But it's not the way of trying and effort and accomplishments. It's the way of God. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Probably comparing himself to that rich young man that went away with a downcast face because he wasn't willing to give up everything to follow Jesus. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Jesus is speaking about the impossibility of becoming good through merely doing the right things. I'd like to call this do-it-yourself goodness. We're addicted to do-it-yourself projects, aren't we? All you have to do is watch a YouTube video on how to lay tile or replace your toilet or fix your carburetor or bake a cake. It doesn't matter. There's a, there's a do-it-yourself video just for that. But Jesus is saying do-it-yourself is not any good when it comes to goodness. How many times did I use the word good in that sentence? Never mind. <laughs> do-it-yourself won't get it done. If what we're looking for is eternal life, then it's only following Jesus. It's only the grace of God, the impossible grace of God that leads to goodness. There's a juxtaposition with the story that precedes the one I just read you, this story of the, the rich young man and all of that. But there's a story that Jesus, that Mark tells us just before that, if you back up to verse 13, the beginning of this episode or earlier in this episode, People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. Get this picture in your mind? The disciples and Jesus are about seriously good business, right? I mean, they're ushering in the kingdom. They're, they're, they're out to build the kingdom of God, and all of a sudden there are parents bringing little children to Jesus to get his autograph. 
When Jesus saw this, though, the disciples rebuking them, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. There's this juxtaposition between the rich man who's looking for a kind of goodness, a deeper kind of goodness. I'm a good guy. I've kept the rules, but what do I need for eternal life? What's the next step? What's, what else can I do? And these children who come to Jesus having no life experiencing, ha having, having no history of being uh, obedient to keeping the commands. They're little children for crying out loud. They're not old enough to maybe even know what the difference is between right and wrong. But Jesus, in the course of these two stories, is trying to say it's not what you can accomplish, but it's what you can become by the grace of God. These children are being brought to Jesus. These children are people who just have the most simple faith. They're not going to accomplish goodness and godliness and righteousness on their own, but they're coming to Jesus with a kind of faith which can lead God to do the impossible. Isn't that good news? What do we have to do to get God to do the impossible? The impossible being giving us eternal life. What do we have to do to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God? Is it work harder? Is it pile up the accomplishments of our life? Is it watch all the YouTube videos of, of Christian preachers that you can possibly, and, and memorize the Bible? Or is it to come to God as a child and say, I don't know diddly squat, but you know, I want to follow you. I want your autograph. I want you to place your hands on me and bless me. There's a temptation for us to look at goodness in this sense of moral excellence. There's a temptation for us to look at goodness as something that we must work hard to, to accomplish or to improve. The rich young man had wanted a young man wanted a do-it-yourself goodness project to improve himself, but goodness isn't our accomplishment. Hear that? Goodness is not our accomplishment. It is the work of God. Paul captures this truth so succinctly in the letter to the Galatians, if you want to join me in Galatians chapter 2. I want to read a few verses beginning at verse 9. Paul has a way of introducing us to spirit goodness, not do-it-yourself goodness. Spirit goodness. Galatians chapter 2, beginning with verse 19. For through the law, and that's what the rich young man was resorting to, right? I've done all these things. I've kept all these. Paul writes, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ and I 
no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness or goodness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. How do we become good? By being as humble as a child, willing to say, I have nothing. I bring nothing to this table. All I bring into this relationship is a suitcase full of sinfulness and disappointment. And I am willing to dump that at your feet. I am willing to be crucified with Christ. I am willing to give up everything that I hold dear in exchange for receiving the Holy Spirit, the goodness of God. That is what is impossible being made possible. By keeping the law, we are no longer, no longer producing goodness. Childlike trust to die to self and to follow Jesus leads to goodness. Goodness is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Goodness is God's gift. We've got a number of kids here. One of the stages of development in the human life is a stage that some have called the good boy, good girl stage. It's that time in a child's life where their greatest aspiration is to hear mommy and daddy say, good boy, good girl. Do you remember being in that stage of life? That, of course, was before the stage of adolescence where you say, I want nothing to do with mommy and daddy. <laughs> All I want to hear is God say, David, good boy. Because those words from God have the power to transform our lives, don't they? He calls us good, and then we become good. No sweat involved. No hard work involved, other than dying to self. But, you know, God calls us his children. God calls us good and godly. And then he makes it happen in our lives. So back there in Mark chapter 10, Jesus says, God is good. And in one sense, no one is good but God, Jesus says. But clearly, Jesus came to do more than just to say, God is good and you guys are never going to be good. No, Jesus came to make it possible for us to walk in his footsteps and to live lives of Christ-like goodness. There would, that was a good opportunity to say amen or, or make it happen, Jesus. Okay, let, let's go over that again. Jesus came to make it possible for us to walk in his foots and footsteps and live lives of Christ-like goodness. Amen. Say that again like you really mean it. <laughs> Give me some of that. The work of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, is to make it possible for us to personify God's goodness. 
Paul says it in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he says, For we are God's handiwork. We are God's handiwork. His fingers are all over our lives, especially if we've said, Lord, do what you want to do. I'm an open book. Take over. I'm dying to myself, and I'm going to let you do whatever you want. We are God's handiwork, Paul says, created in Christ Jesus to do... Oh, there's that word. Created in Christ Jesus to do good work. Good meaning that godly stuff. Jesus said only God is good, but Paul is saying Jesus Christ is making it possible for us to do good work, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is not a do-it-yourself project, is it? God is the, only, the one and only handyman who makes us good. The purpose of Jesus' saving work in the world is to make us people of goodness. I want some of that, Lord. Keep doing that in me. Keep doing that good work. The truth is that goodness is a gift from God and that those who are willing to give up the, the pipe dream of do-it-yourself goodness can experience this kind of spirit goodness. So the kindness of God is his forgiveness and mercy. That's what we went over last week. The goodness of God is a transformation of our lives into righteousness in action. I say all that, how do, we, how do we become good? It's by faith, it's childlike humility. It's letting God be the one that does all of the work. But what difference is that going to make in our relationships, I wonder? This is what we'll call tough goodness. In Mark chapter 10, this quality of uh, of, of goodness sounds like Jesus's rebuke of the disciples who kept the children from coming to him. Was Jesus really mad at them? Had he lost his patience with them? No, they were his disciples. He had committed to inviting them to follow him so that they would walk in his dust and they would become like him. And yes, there were times where they missed the point. There were times where they, they didn't know what Jesus was really trying to accomplish. There were times that they did things that were the exact opposite of what he wanted them to do. And this was one of them. Children are coming to get Jesus's blessing. And they're saying, you're a distraction. You're, you, you know, you're not important. You're too young to know what's going on here. This message is going to go over your heads. Just get out of the way and let us adults take the time to do what's really important. But Jesus, Jesus is good in that he rebukes them. He says, this is a teachable moment. Let me tell you what children are. Children are a metaphor for how the kingdom is coming, becoming a reality in this world. If you want to know what the kingdom is like, look at these children. Put them in the center of the conversation. Don't press them, push them out of the circle. No, bring them into the middle. Goodness may rebuke, but it's so that the other people can become more Christ-like, in this case, the disciples. Goodness sounds like Jesus' challenge to this rich young man, right? He loved this rich young man. 
He loved the fact that this young man had spent his life trying to obey the commandments. He loved the fact that this young man had enough faith in God that he had put God first in his life. But he also said, that's the old way. Let me introduce you to a new way, a new way that's about faith and it's about following and it's about dying to yourself and it's about giving up what you think is important and learning what I believe is important. So goodness can sometimes sound like a discouragement or a challenge that's too great to be accomplished. But Jesus' intent was to draw this young man, this rich young man, into an even greater level of goodness than he had been able to accomplish on his own. In John chapter 8, this goodness sounds like Jesus telling the woman who had been caught in adultery, neither do I condemn you. That's kindness, right? But go and sin no more. I'm not going to hold your past against you, but neither do I want you to continue living that way. That's goodness. Jesus believed that she could put behind her whatever it was that led her into a life of adultery. That she could become good just as God is good. In virtually all of Paul's letters, he begins with talk about grace and faith, but then he turns to the challenge to follow Jesus. Which part of Paul's letters do you like best? The beginning where he's talking about faith and grace and, and love and all that, or the end where he's saying, do this and don't do that? Yeah, I suspect that we spend less time at the end of the letters than at the beginning of the letters. But this is how Paul is good. He's challenging people to dig deeper, to reach higher, to follow God more closely. Look at Galatians chapter 5. We've been in this book for a number of weeks now, but in chapter 5, beginning with verse 13, Paul writes, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk in the spirit. And I just envision him giving him one of these, kicking the behind. Walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Do you hear the sternness in Paul's voice? He's saying, you know, God is grace, God is mercy, God is kind. But God wants you to grow up. God doesn't want you to continue making the same mistakes over and over again. God wants you to grow up and become mature enough that you don't fall back into that kind of lifestyle. In their case, you don't fall back into to being duped by people who are trying to say, oh, it's not about grace and faith, it's about the law. Don't fall back into that. He's challenging them to walk in the spirit 
and not get caught up in the slavery of the law. The author of the Hebrews says it this way, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So kindness is the mercy and the forgiveness of God. Goodness is the kind of righteousness that can call other people higher and deeper. Goodness is a som sometimes a stern word of rebuke or a, a challenging call to something that's not going to be easy. Goodness, like love, can be tough. Goodness is the righteous, ethical love of God that is poured into us, which has the ability to call us deeper and to spur us on to good deeds through the empowering grace of God. So if we're going to bear the fruit of the Spirit, it's going to be because God does it, not our do-it-yourself projects, right? We have to throw ourselves on the mercy of God and say, Lord, I'm not a good person. There are times when I'm mean and cantankerous and irritable. Turn to the person next to you and say, there are times when you are mean and cantankerous and... <laughs> Lord, I don't want to be that way. I want to be good. I want to be godly. And you're going to have to do the heavy lifting here. This is not a do-it-myself project. And then that equips us to be able to turn to our husband, our wife, our children, our parents, our neighbor, our coworker, our fellow student, and say, I'd like to introduce you to a godliness that will change your life. But here's some of the stuff that we're going to have to work on together. Bow your heads with me. As I was speaking, were there actions or words that you've said in the last week or two that you've done in the last month that came to mind? Times when out of your own stubbornness, your own selfishness, your own hurt, you said something that wasn't kind. You said something that wasn't Christ-like. You did something that didn't reflect well on the fact that we call ourselves Christians. Did something like that come to mind? If so, we confess, we repent, we're forgiven. So pray that. And if you're like me, I... I grow sad that oftentimes those things will happen again this week, next week, next month. Lord, we want to be living examples of Christ-like goodness. We want to be the exhibit A that you intended us to be in the world. People of godliness who love God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength and love their neighbor as themselves. Lord, we want to be that kind of people. But rather than trying harder this week, trying harder to control our tongue, 
trying harder to control our irritation, trying harder to control our anger, trying harder to control our selfishness. Lord, we throw ourselves on your mercy. Lord, we need to die to ourselves. We need to die to the things, the desires within us that get in the way of Christ-likeness. Lord, we need you to do the work in our lives. We confess our shortcoming. We confess our pride. And we ask that your Holy Spirit, in the kindness of God, would forgive us and that the goodness of God would not only speak words of challenge to us, words of conviction to us, but Lord, we pray that your good, good spirit would transform us so that we wouldn't fall back into that kind of life, those kind of words, that kind of action. Lord, we can only do it by your grace, but your grace is abundant. Your grace is being lavishly poured out in our lives, and we thank you for that. Take us deeper, Father. Take us higher, Father. We love you. Thank you for your love for us that's transforming our lives. In Christ's name we pray.